0: And a warm welcome to The Afternoon Show. I'm Bill Arnold. I am so glad that you have tuned in today. Hopefully you listen to Suzy Larson live and you are uh, having a great day. So I have not checked my calendar. Why, what what is exactly is on the schedule for today? I don't know. I think these three guys found their way into the studio, and we gave them a microphone and some headsets. I should look
1: to my left. And there they are. We understand there was going to be pizza. Yeah,
0: boy, you're living in in the prehistoric ages, Greg Borgond. That'll teach you to go to Ireland for eight weeks. Yeah, we've had pizza twice. You know, I should do pizza one more time just for you. Would you like that? It was wonderful. It was actually great pizza, wasn't it? It was delicious. I yeah, thought Jeff? you were
1: pulling my chain. That no, you actually no. did
0: it. No, I no, I did it. Oh, you yeah. waited until I was in Ireland. Yeah, and exactly. Had the pizza. Exactly twice, yeah, guys. Yeah, twice, by the way. Oh. Well, the first time I burned Jeff because I got uh, wild mushroom pizza. He doesn't like wild mushrooms. Well, you didn't know. I didn't know. It and was good though. I loved it. Yeah, why sure. had a piece, and we we're, were all very happy. And then I thought, well, I got to get something for Jeff. And now that you're back, I feel like mm, I probably need to do it again. Sure.
1: What you, are you a meat guy? Do you like pepperoni oh, yeah. sausage? Oh, yeah. What do you like? Okay, yeah. I'll do that next time. I, I don't <laughs> believe that you should uh, eat anything that doesn't have a chance to go ahead and run for its <laughs> life first. <laughs> <laughs> All right,
0: well, we're off to an unusual start. Uh, There goes cheesecake. I've I've got Dr. B, Tom P, and Jeff V. That's the team. I've got a professor, a pastor, and a Sunday school teacher. And we're here to answer your questions. So whatever you have, we'll do our very best to answer your question. 877-933-2484. Again, 877-933-2484. Question number one, gentlemen, I believe I'm saved And I believe in
2: him, but I keep sinning. What steps do I need to do? Well, this is where the practicality of Christianity comes in. We're not dealing with necessarily anything about salvation here. The person has given their life to Jesus. What we are dealing with, though, is maturing as a disciple. One of the ways I've learned to mature as a disciple is that when I've got a sin, and I'll call it a besetting sin, one that seems to be there over and over and over, I need to seek out some Christian men who I have great respect for, who I believe in, who I know will tell me the truth, and ask them to actually hold me accountable. And right now, even at at my age and all these years of being a pastor, I have two pastors that I do that with on a weekly basis, who we talk on the phone, we ask each other the hard questions. Sometimes we get together for coffee, but they are wonderful because they don't want to condemn. They want to revive. And so they tell me, Tom, Jesus has much more for you than to keep going back to that bitterness Mm -hmm. or that attitude or whatever it may be and pushes me forward. So I would recommend definitely find one or two Christian men that will hold you accountable and love you no matter what you tell them because they're not going to go away and they're going to help you grow up. That's a trust issue also. It's huge. Hopefully you have someone that you know and trust.
1: Yeah, got to have that. All right. In my ministry uh, with men, One of the journeys that they complete, they have to put together what's called a personal battle plan. And I tell them they're going to meet in my home. They're to bring somebody of significance, uh, if they're married, their wife, but uh, somebody that means something to them, because they're going to have to publicly, out loud, declare how they intend to live their life. Because I know this about men. If they don't publicly declare it, there's a good chance they'll never follow through with it, no matter how committed they are to it. When they publicly have to declare it, then they follow through most of the time. That's the same thing with sin. If you don't out loud, publicly, or to, as Tom was suggesting, another brother, somebody that uh, has walked along with you or that will hold you accountable, if you don't publicly declare it, there's a good chance that you'll repeat it again.
3: One of my anchors in my week to keep my eyes on Christ instead of on all the distractions of the world is my men's group. I call it, my iron man group that's from proverbs 27:17 as iron sharpens iron so mm-hmm. one man's faith sharpens another sin loves darkness right mm-hmm. i think sin always wants to be hidden from the light so i think one of the best ways to combat sin is to just be open about your life and open about your struggles and and have a safe group of men that you can be uh, have a have a covenant of confidentiality, for sure, yeah. because you can then talk about things in a real way instead of a pretend way. But it says in James five sixteen, therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. I think that's the best disinfectant for sin is the light of truth and fellowship with others.
2: Mm-hmm. And I think where the church is broken down, if I can use that terminology, is that most people look at church as something you do on a weekend or maybe a Wednesday night. Mm-hmm. You go and worship, you know, you, you go to a Bible study, you might have a little fellowship, and then you go home. Where well, I don't see that in the New Testament designed that way at all. What they did is they came together as a group, and because they loved Jesus, yes, they received the apostles' teaching, yes, they broke bread, yes, they had prayers, but they were accountable to one another. And that's accountability is what we need, but we don't have, because most churches in America are no different than a drive through at McDonald's. You drive in, you get your stuff, you drive out. These people spent more than two or three hours together. They would spend sometimes a day or more together and really talk things through. And I think if we can get back to that, it would be much healthier for all of us. Mm-hmm. Guy talk or guys who talk, we're here to take your questions. Send them over. Text line
0: is open just for you. 877-933-2484. Again, 877-933-2484. Have you ever had one of those conversations with somebody where you are very much at odds, but they act as if you guys believe the same thing? Yep. It's almost comical where you say, Jesus is the only way to heaven. And they go, no, 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 we agree the same. You know, We're on the same page. The Great River Spirit says that. (laughs) Yeah. And you're going, no, 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 no. We don't agree at all. But they keep acting as if you both believe the same thing. You had those
2: conversations? Because I've had them. Oh, I've had this conversation with people. I mean, I hear it a lot in terms of couples that want to get married, and the one spouse isn't a member of the church, but he or she brings that spouse in, and then we start talking about spiritual matters, you know, and, well, you know, I've really been a good person. You know, I, I've, you know, I, I practice yoga. I really believe in being in touch with the Spirit. And and I bring up, what, what about Jesus? Well, yeah, he fits in there, too. <laughs> and then we got to go, and we've got to go deeper. Mm. So what you're saying is absolutely correct. Yeah, I just have had conversations where they
0: they're, they're so different with what I declare to be biblical truth, and then what they say. Yet somehow they sort of act like we're both on the same page.
2: Right. And there's how you this,
3: navigate your way through that? Some of those conversations are tricky. There's this concept of cognitive dissonance, <laughs> when it's where when people just can't accept or recognize a contrary view, because what they believe is true is so ingrained Mm -hmm. that something contrary just doesn't even register with them. And I think that's exactly what you are describing. Mm -hmm. So maybe a follow-up question is, how do we respond to those who say there is more than one way to heaven, or that everyone goes to heaven? I think for this one, there are so many places in Scripture that declare, so use the Word of God to declare what... God declares in his word. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Paul says to Timothy that there's one mediator between God and man, and that is the person of Jesus Christ. Look, that verse right there is, that cuts through a lot. When Mm -hmm. God has declared that there's only one way, one mediator between God and man, that eliminates everything else except for Jesus Christ. There's no other name under
2: heaven in which men can be saved except the name of Jesus. Amen. I've learned to ask questions of people, Bill. It's it's too easy to get into theological debates, and and I I love that kind of stuff, but it's really not the healthiest way to go. So when somebody says something like that to me, you know that all, all rivers lead to the same end or whatever else, I mm-hmm. would say, well, that's interesting because I don't think Jesus agrees with you, and mm-hmm. then I stop. And the and and inevitably ninety nine percent of the time they'll go, well, what do you mean he doesn't agree with me? Well, he says, I am the only way. Are you telling me Jesus was lying? And I've done that with people enough to where I've had people engage in a real conversation. And I asked them, where do you get your information from? Well, well I, I just kind of grew up with this. Well, if you're not reading what Jesus said, how can you know the truth? You've got to look deeper. And that's how I try to get people into the Bible and into studying okay. John or whatever so they become christians
1: the intensity of that kind of a conversation is often driven by the fact whether we want to admit it or not that it's up to us whether or not that person comes to clarity about the truth yeah. and it's not we are to be purveyors of the truth sure. we are to share the truth but it's the holy spirit that's always engaged in these conversations it says in scripture he um you know uh, it deals with the whole idea of convicting the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And it's not up to us other than to be a purveyor of truth, to be gentle and respectful, but not to hesitate at all to share the truth. And whether or not those scales fall off the eyes um, and uh, their ears get unplugged is between them and God sooner or later. The other thing to remember is that you sow a seed. And it takes time in some people's lives for a longer period of time to germinate and for it all of a sudden to produce something. So you have to rely on that too. So two things for people who are um, concerned about, gee whiz, uh, this person is going off the rails. They're not listening to what I have to say. One is God's not finished with them yet. And it may be that the seed that you sow will bear fruit somewhere down the road. And secondly, the Holy Spirit is the one that'll convict them of sin, righteousness and judgment. All you need to be is just that channel. And I agree with that and I
2: I will say this. In my experience, and I've been privileged to lead a lot of people to the Lord Jesus Christ and disciple them. It's been a great ministry doing that. But the average person takes anywhere from 3 to 6 months. It doesn't Now sometimes boom, it just happens. You know, and I'm overwhelmed by that. But in most cases, it's a continuing dialogue, a continuing challenge of their thinking. And they'll come back to me with information they've got, and then I'll come back with what the Scripture says uh, or what we know. And it is in that two things happen. One, I build a relationship with them, which you were talking about, which is good. Second of all, it gives the Holy Spirit plenty of room to work on their heart. And I have had so many people say to me over the years, you know, uh, five years ago when we had that conversation, do you know how that kept me up at night? Mm -hmm. I had no idea. Yeah, But that's what the Lord does.
1: See, and, and what, again, what we have to recognize is, is that God will use us to bring them one step closer. We may not be there at the point when they cross over and receive Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. They finally are seriously right. considering the gospel. So we need to be satisfied with the fact that we bring them one step closer, which is what you're talking about. Yeah. It takes takes time it does and and so when you have the privilege of finally leading somebody to christ the other thing you need to recognize you're standing on the shoulders of probably 10 to 15 other people that god have brought into the life to bring them up to that point exactly
3: i think the the lie that there are many roads to god is one of the great lies of the world um if you if you have a desire to know the true god but you are on a road that's just not a a true road, it's not an accurate road, but you think you're seeking God in some way earnestly and um but but you're on the wrong path, you're on the wrong road, so you may have a heart for god but- sh- but you don't recognize that there is only one road to god so i think this this idea that there are many roads to God is one of the great great lies of the world, and I think you look we've just talked about many ways that we can reason with someone look Paul reasoned with them from the scriptures to try to prove that jesus was the christ jesus declared himself to be god he said he's the only way to god and so this is a pretty simple concept that biblical christianity is mutually exclusive of all other belief systems but but this should not be a surprise to anybody because if you study the world's religions they are also actually mutually exclusive. They claim to have an exclusive way to heaven, to paradise, to nirvana, to the next level or whatever. Uh, so, you know, so many Christians, uh, pseudo-Christians, say there's many roads to God in a, in a kind of an ecumenical way, trying to be inclusive of everybody. There's no other religion that thinks Christianity has the right way, by the way. So um, all belief systems are pretty much mutually exclusive. So if you're going to study one, Start studying the one where the guy who founded the religion has on his resume rose from the dead because Mm. nobody else has that on their resume. Years ago,
1: years ago, when I was going to college, it was a secular college, obviously, but I was taking a course on religion and we were meeting in this professor's home. And uh, he was a believer in Sai Baba, the Indian guru. And he made this comment. He says that Jesus, Moses, and Buddha are all one and the same. And me being a young Christian at the time, I just couldn't resist it. I raised my hand gingerly, and everybody else turned and looked at me. (laughs) I said, I don't understand how that could be. And he says, well, what do you mean? I says, well, Jesus was God, Moses believed in God, and Buddha did not believe in God. How could he be all the one in the sense?" <laughs> That's right. I remember that distinctly, That conversation. and it was dead silence. And then he said, after about 15 seconds, said, well, you just don't understand. What was the final grade in that course for
0: you? <laughs> <laughs> I think I got an A. Good for you. Now, All right, we're going to take a little break. Lots more guy talk ahead, which means we want and need your questions. Bring them to the table, eight seven seven We'll lay them on the table, and then we'll try to answer them. We'll be right back. When you sponsor a child in need, you change their life. Your child learns that God loves them more than they can imagine and that he has special plans for their life. Your child gets help with school and is taught leadership, life skills, and how to overcome poverty and succeed. Your child gets nutritious food and vital medical care that often saves lives. You might not be able to change the world, but for one child, you can change theirs. Meet the kids, find your child at MyFaithRadio.com. Hi, this is Bill. I thought this interview was so good, I wanted you to hear it again. So enjoy. It is time for Guide Talk. For guys who talk, I have Dr. Greg Borgon, Tom Parrish, and Jeff Berdorn in studio. <laughs> What's so funny, Tom Parrish? Oh,
2: Give me this. my pause. I love the, I love the separation in the pause. I mean, it just, it helps clarify what his name really is, mm-hmm. even though everybody else gets it mixed up.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to be, I can't be blamed for saying Jeffrey Dorn. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, ever again. So there we go. It's good. So. Talk about what it meant for Jesus to be baptized by John. Let's say I'm in line to be baptized by John, and this person named Jesus is three ahead of me, and I know why I'm there, to repent and be baptized. And I'm looking ahead going, so this is Jesus, and what's he getting baptized for?
2: Okay, I'll jump in. (laughs) Jesus, of course. I love Philippians 2. Philippians 2 tells us that although being equal with God, literally, he emptied himself became totally identified with human beings, was tempted in every way that we are. So there was no game going on here. Jesus really was tempted. But what he did is that he submitted to uh, what was righteous and what was right. And John, what John was doing is he was preparing the way for the Messiah. And Jesus submitted to that because he was the Messiah. And in doing that, he identified with human beings and he was the initiator of the new covenant. So I'm sure there's more to it But he made a conscious decision to be baptized, not because of sin. He didn't have a sin problem. But he went to be identified with the Lord's people and to bring the salvation they needed.
1: When we had the discussion, uh, I think it was the last guy talk about baptism, about being a public declaration that you intend to live your life differently than you had been living. That's what it means about being immersed, giving up your old self and rising again. I have to wonder um, if jesus being baptized wasn't simply a declaration a public declaration it was actually the beginning of his public ministry that it was a public declaration that he was going on record as fulfilling uh god's uh um, purpose for his life so i wonder if that may had something to do with it 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 doesn't say that in scripture but i I have to wonder that's that's how i've Really, have seen this.
3: Um, the question really uh, was brought up by John too. John didn't understand it because remember, John is the one. If we go to the passage in Scripture, he says this: Jesus came to Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized him, and by bap- baptized by him. And John tried to prevent him, saying, "I need to be baptized by you." And and are you coming? to me. So John the Baptist is the one that said, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He's the one who said his sandals I'm not fit to wear. And, and he recognized that why am I baptizing you? There's no need for you to be baptized. Jesus answers them. And this is all, I think all we can further, we can go in scripture for a biblical reason. He says this Permit it to be so now for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Okay. And then he allowed it. But what comes right afterwards is this public display that this is my son in whom I'm well pleased and the Holy Spirit comes down. And as you said, it started his public ministry. So, you know, that's where I go because, uh, you know, some of the other reasons why he would potentially
2: need baptism don't make a lot of sense because he's God in the flesh, right? One of the problems with that text is that we don't get the emotion of John. We don't get to see his face. We don't get to see the tears welling up in his eyes because Hmm. I think he was overwhelmed that Jesus was there to be baptized, although he didn't fully understand what was going to happen because he was a human being. He knew that in Jesus, when Jesus came forward, that this was a powerful moment. And to say to him, why should I baptize you? I think there was a strong emotion there. And I really wish I could have been there to see it Uh. because too often we don't see the emotion in people or the look on their face. When they see these things, and this was a powerful moment for John, and it's always a powerful moment for us when we submit to the Lord. And remember the scene. It's one of the
3: few places in all of Scripture where we see clearly the Father, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Jesus is in the water. The Holy Spirit is descending down from uh, heaven like a dove, and the voice from heaven, God the Father, saying, this is my Son.
0: When I get to heaven, I want to go to the three-day conference on tone because there's no tone in scripture but i'm dying to hear what the tone was yeah
3: but you're, you're going to be able to ask john you know like, of course
0: but it's, i mean you, you think, won't
1: have to go to a conference
3: bill you oh, really just really i them. think i might want to go to a conference greg <laughs> i don't there, there'll be no conferences <laughs> uh, okay. i don't know I mean, right. too many conferences no, no com- committees I mean, either I mean, think no of uh, luke
0: one where uh gabriel um appears to zechariah and zechariah goes well how's this going to happen and gabriel says i'm gabriel You just wonder what the tone was like. Or when Jesus is talking to the woman at the well and he declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Mm -hmm. Come on. What a beautiful moment that was.
2: Unbelievable. Powerful. For for good or bad, last um, Easter, I decided I was going to have a short video at the beginning of the sermon talking about the people's reaction to Jesus rising from the dead. So I looked at every film that existed out there on Jesus and the resurrection. And it was always, oh. Ah, ooh, you know, when he's risen from the dead. Personally, I would have been against the wall. So then I found uh, a short segment of the Three Stooges running in a hallway and running into each other out of fear and going in different directions. And I'll be (laughs) honest, I played it. And I cannot tell you the number of older people I had come up and say, Thank you. I never thought about it. I would have been terrified when Jesus showed up. So, Bill, yeah, get that class going. I'm going to the seminar, You're going to the the conference? I am. Yeah, it includes a box lunch. (laughs) Pizza.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it includes pizza. Yeah. Hmm. No, I think the reason I brought that up about the baptism is <clears throat> is Jesus's life was filled with accusations. Yeah. I mean, they probably accused Mary of, you know, her being an unwed teenage mother, and mm-hmm. Jesus was accused of being drunk, and Jesus was accused yeah. of this and that, and I just can imagine you're you're in the the repent and be baptized line, and you're seeing this guy three ahead of you. That's they're talking about is jesus or you remember him
1: being in the repent and be baptized line can't you sense though what the tone might be i mean when i when i look at the passage uh where um what i think it is philip says to jesus show us the father and that'll be enough and jesus says to him and i almost sensed it emotionally where he potentially could put his hand on philip's shoulder and say Have I been with you so long, Peter, and you don't know me? Yeah. Yeah. You can can hear the tone in that, by the way. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. you can.
0: But that would still be in the three-day tone conference. (laughs) (laughs) In that breakout session. It'd be in a a breakout session, yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I like that. Well, you know, the woman who came to Jesus and was asking for help, and she was the the Gentile or the Samaritan woman, and he said, you know, know, about the dogs and, and the scraps under the table. Sure. I really think there was a smile and a twinkle in Jesus' eye when he said that. Jesus was not out to put people down. I don't see anywhere in Scripture where he's out to humiliate them, except the religious leaders. They had their own problems. But this woman, because the disciples thought she shouldn't even be there. So I think there's a dialogue there, and that's why, Bill, I would like to go to that seminar with you, because I think there was something more going on there.
1: Do you think that the popularity (laughs) of the series Chosen is popular for just maybe that reason, Bill. I mean, finally you get to hear... There's some texture there. Yeah, texture, and yeah. Jesus, the way he says things, and exactly. the way he's looking, and all the rest of it. And that's what people are finally identifying with instead of just words on a on a, yeah. on a paper.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. Good yeah. point. There's a fly in the studio. Yeah, Who brought that in? I, Seriously. We're not I, we're going to be batting a fly. Years on the radio, I've never had a fly in here. <laughs> all right, here's the next question. Uh, can you explain the millennium. As believers or being raptured, will we never die and live for a thousand years sin-free? But those coming in after the tribulation that became believers, are they still sinners? And will they populate the earth and still be sinning during that thousand-year reign?
3: So there's two groups of people that the question identifies but doesn't clarify the first group of people is the raptured church we will be in our glorified bodies and it says in revelations that that we will reign with him for a thousand years so the glorified church the church that's been raptured and even those tribulation saints that believed during the seven year tribulation and were killed and went up to heaven they also will come to life and reign with him for a thousand years so The church, in glory, in their glorified bodies, remember, just like Christ's glorified bodies, will rule with him. Now, there are other people, and I believe that there's two primary groups of people that will enter into the millennial kingdom in their earthly bodies, and that is one, number one, Israel. The remnant of Israel that survives will look upon him whom they have pierced, finally be saved. I will put a new spirit in them, and God says, I will save them. They will enter into the millennial kingdom and the sheep of the sheep and the goat judgment. Remember Matthew 25? It says, then Jesus will will gather the nations before him, and he separates them as one separates the sheep from the goats. The sheep are declared to be righteous in that passage. So I think those are the believers. They enter into the millennial kingdom. The goats go away where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth, basically. So there will be believers at the very beginning of the uh, millennial reign In earthly bodies, they will have children and children and children over the next thousand years. And while the earth will be somewhat restored, the wolf will lie down with the lamb. There'll be peace on earth. Satan is bound for a thousand years. Yes, there is still sin, just as there's sin in the body today. But in the glorified church that's ruling with him, we've had sin taken care of. We've been perfected body, soul, and spirit.
1: You know, what's really... Shocking to me. We were just talking about scales and eyes and people refusing to to believe the truth. Here you are living in the millennium. Let's say you're physically in the millennium. You haven't received Jesus Christ. Um, but all of a sudden, you have all of the people that are in their glorified body hanging around. Hmm. And you have Israel hanging around. And most importantly, you have Jesus. And, they, and a human being still refuses no to receive Jesus as savior and Lord. I don't, I don't get it. I just don't understand how that could happen. You know, it's funny. That question comes up in
3: my end times class often uh, at this point in the class. And it's funny. It's like, well, Israel saw God save them from Pharaoh's army, part the red sea and be right in front of them in a pillar of fire. And yet they, they made a golden calf. There are others who saw the Physical Jesus Christ perform miracles, die on a cross, and rise again, and didn't believe. So this this is kind of common with people that even presented with with the truth of God, they refuse to believe and thus have
1: life. You know, you you think about the depth of the sin of unbelief, or any sin. I don't think we fully understand how insidious it is, how dark it is, mm-hmm. how. Um, uh, you know, takes you over type of a thing so that even though these miracles are happening in front of you, even though Jesus is reigning, you're seeing people in glorified body, still you're blinded by your own sin to the degree that you just turn your back on it. Which is, for us as believers, that's why I'm saying it's, I, I don't know how that could be, but yet it's sin, it's what sin does to the mind. Watch. I, can I read a, a real quick here. passage, real quick, Tom, sorry.
3: At the end of the thousand year reign, showing this sin of man, it says this. Now, when the thousand years are over, Satan will be released from his prison and he will go out and deceive the nations of the four corners of the earth and he will gather them together for battle, whose number is as the sands of the sea. And they went up onto the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the city that he loves. That's Jerusalem and and. And Satan is leading a mass of unbelievers at the end of the thousand-year reign in a rebellion to take over Christ's throne on Jerusalem. And it says this, and then fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. So even
2: to the end, with Christ reigning on earth, there's still rebellion at the end. It is so hard to comprehend. One of the ways I've had to to deal with that as I read the scriptures is this. I'm a a photographer and cinematographer from way back. There is a big difference between a photograph I take of somebody and put it on the wall and a motion picture I put on the wall. Scripture gives us in Revelation photographs of what's coming. We don't get all the details. We don't get the whole picture. We don't get all 360 degrees. We get the picture. The picture's true but there's so much more beyond that. And so, Greg, I'm with you. I cannot comprehend how you can be in the presence of Jesus and still sin, but obviously it's going to happen. And how that happens, I don't know, but I've only got one picture out of 360. There must be a whole lot more to the picture than I see. All right. We want to speak boldly
0: and confidently. We want to rightly divide the word of truth, but trust me, we want to be as humble servants that Try to be as gracious and kind with every question that comes in. So have no fear. Send it over. We'd love to address whatever question you have. There's no question too small or too big uh, that we won't try to work through with you. 877-933-2484. This is Guy Talk or Guys Who Talk, and we're going to do our best just for you. Be right back. Hi, this is Bill. I thought this interview was so good, I wanted you to hear it again. So enjoy.
2: It's the
1: Afternoon Show with Bill Arno. Drive time, drive time, let's get it started. Jump in your car, what's for dinner? It's the Afternoon Show with Bill Arnold.
0: It is Guy Talk, guys who talk, and thank you for not being in the least bit afraid to engage with us. I just got a text that said, "Can Pastor Tom clarify his comment on sinning in the presence of Christ?" I didn't catch it at all. Sinning in the presence
2: of Christ. Yeah. Can you clarify your comment on sinning in the presence of Christ? Oh, you mean in the, millennium. In the millennium? How yeah. could somebody sin in the presence of Jesus if we're talking about having kids and then there's a rebellion and Satan leads that rebellion? I can't understand how that's even possible. Mm-hmm. You know, if if I have so many Christians who say to me, Pastor. If I could only see Jesus face to face, (laughs) it would have a dramatic effect on my life. Everybody I know that has had a dream of Jesus or a vision of Jesus, it changed their life. What I'm saying is I would be so overwhelmed that I don't know how I could go back to an old way of life devoid of knowing I'm accountable to Jesus. So I suppose some can, but I don't like the idea at all. I appreciate that clarification.
0: All right, I'm back to another question on baptism, and since you're talking about baptism, I probably missed it, but where does the Bible teach that baptism is just a public declaration of faith?
1: Well, first of all, you can go to a passage like in, in Matthew 28. We have the last recorded words of Jesus on earth where he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age so right there is a command in actuality of you know baptizing so the, the the question that that the person was asking about public baptism and so there are numbers of of uh incidents in the New Testament that show about public baptism yeah i think
3: that you know, we have, we were talking off air just briefly before this that part of Jewish tradition also includes ritual cleansing and, and, mm-hmm. uh, baptism basically that, that would be picked up on. I, my understanding is history, uh, in the first century, there is also other groups that would use baptism as a way of identifying or, uh, kind of init- initiation into a particular group or sect or, or belief system. And so it wasn't exclusively Christian, but Christianity has has used it as a way of identifying uh, publicly, if you will, with the particular movement of Christianity. And to Christianity, an, a baptism by immersion has special significance uh, because the idea of the death burial and resurrection of the believer at the moment they put their faith and trust in Christ. I've been crucified with Christ. That's the going down into the water. I've been buried with him in his death and have been raised with him in his resurrection, the coming up out of water. So it's quite a, a picture, uh, that, that meets joining the, the Christian movement, the Christian faith as a declaration
2: at a person's baptism. I see that. But the scriptures are rather interesting. You know, we've come up with all these, how shall I say it? And I want to say this respectfully, formulas on how to get saved. Thief on the cross throws everything into the wind because he doesn't go through all the normal steps that we talk about. Now, the other steps I think are there. I'm not denying that. That was the context. But you think in Acts 8 about the Ethiopian eunuch. There it, He got baptized by Philip. There's no mention of a public witness. There's no mention of people being there. He just said, here's water, why can't? i be baptized. And he was. I think the key to it is this. Be baptized. When you're baptized, understand you're coming into a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And whether you're going to publicly declare that or how you're going to do it, you better live it out. And then every day after that baptism, you've got to be able to say, Jesus is my Lord and Savior. He's the one I will follow. Because I think sometimes we get caught up in the the things we do, whether it is baptism, whether it is communion or whatever else, and miss the purpose of those things, which is to drive us to Jesus. It's always a hard thing, right? It's always a hard thing.
3: Thank you, gentlemen. Questions, send them my way, and these
0: guys will do their best to answer them. 877-933-2484. Let's see here. One just came in. Um, I think calling baptism just... Is wrong. It's a sacrament. It's a blessing to us from Jesus. It's not a requirement for salvation, but it's not a just.
2: Well, I apologize if I use the term just. I didn't mean any disrespect at all. I was trying to clarify what I understood it to be. Yes, you're right. It is a sacrament. I believe in it very strongly. I believe it's instituted by the Lord. But here's the bottom line sacrament or not, if we don't get right with Jesus every day and follow him, we're in trouble. That's where we have to be, and that's what I will emphasize for the rest of my life. I appreciate that, Tom. Parrish, mm-hmm. a little humility goes a long way. Mm-hmm. Agree? hmm
0: Yeah, I like that. I'd like to hear a little more. <laughs> <laughs>
2: humility from Tom or what? Yeah, from Tom. Yeah, <laughs> I've got, don't call my wife, and I've got a whole lot more.
0: All right. Next question, gentlemen. My cousin doesn't want to have too small of a view of God. So he sees every small event in his life as God's speaking to him, even trivial things. I'm not sure how to respond. Am I being nitpicky?
2: I'd oh. certainly want to know if I could talk with this gentleman. I, I do want to really try to get into his motivation. Mm-hmm. What's deep going on in his heart? Is he fearful that he's going to miss something if he doesn't see everything? Is it because he's had his eyes spiritually opened and maybe he does see everything in a way that most of us don't? I think most of us miss the movement of the Lord in our life most of the time. It isn't until we are spiritually awakened or really make an effort to see that we see. However, at the same time, um, I would say just sit down and talk and ask him how he's come to this conclusion, why he keeps doing that, and maybe there's something there for you. I think we don't listen to God enough, so I'm very hesitant
3: to say or criticize someone that that is says they're listening to God all the time or often, we we live in a spiritual battle. Our battle is spiritual. All around us, we have spiritual realities that, that we can't see, and, and we're often not attuned to it. So we're not attuned to our spiritual battle. We're not attuned to the voice of God. And so someone who is earnestly seeking to listen to God, I, I think that's awesome. At the same time, not everything that happens in your life is a sign from God, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. you're walking along and you see a... Uh, Reese's wrapper doesn't mean God is calling you to go to work for Hershey's or something. You know, it's 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 just a wrapper on on the sidewalk. Mm-hmm. So we we need to be discerning
1: in in how we listen as well. And you know, maybe a more fundamental question about this is: Is this person listening on uh, to everything out of a sense of obligation because somehow that's going to garner sure. garner them? Um, a better relationship with the Creator. If that's the case, then what we're dealing with is works. Right. But if it's the desire to hear the still, small voice of God, to be able to be in touch with what's going on with God, to know God more, there's nothing wrong with that at all. Yeah. As a matter of fact, um, you know, when God speaks so profoundly in a still, small voice and people ask, well, why? And I said, because it forces you to lean forward to hear it. Because sometimes the distractions of our life, the tyranny, of the urgent, we don't hear the voice of God. And then we wonder, why am I not hearing the voice of God? Well, you're not leaning forward to hear it. You know, I have heard
3: so many stories of people praying for little things about, um, you know, Lord, I would love to have a parking spot up <clears throat> near the front, you know. And, and there are some that I've heard criticize people for for using God in that way or praying for such trivial things. I think it's actually a pretty neat picture that you are trusting in him for everything. I remember a story my mom told me. One of her friends was washing the dishes and a glass got stuck down the drain and was kind of stuck. Mm -hmm. And so she just prayed to the Lord, Lord, this is stuck. I don't know what to do and I'm just going to trust you. And the water started filling up and the glass floated up and it got unstuck. (laughs) I I just, you know, How many of us would think about, I, when we have big things in our lives, Mm -hmm. we tend to turn to God, but I think we should turn to God, even for all the little things as well.
1: There was a classic brother Lawrence, um, Practicing the presence of God where he prayed unceasingly. Maybe after the break we can elaborate on that a little bit. Well, go ahead and finish, Tom. <laughs> or, uh, uh, Greg? Yeah, it, the fact is is that it wasn't just a verbal communication with God every wake and moment. It was awareness of God's presence and everything that's done. It's appreciation of his beauty. It's meditating on the things of God. So he practiced the presence of God around the clock while he was awake. And that's a communication with God. Yeah. It isn't just the words that we hope he's going to hear it's the attention the attentiveness the adoration that we offer because of where we're at Mm -hmm. i recently invented a statistic
0: that said people who listen to guy talk are 92 percent happier than those who don't so i feel sorry for the remaining 17 percent if you have a question or comment let me know 877-933-2484 we'll be right back Hi, this is Bill Arnold, host of the Afternoon Show. If you're like me, and I know I am, you're going to get tired on occasion. Sometimes you're emotionally tired. Sometimes you're spiritually tired. And if you're struggling or you've had disappointment, I want you to know that uh, Susie Larson has written a brand-new book uh, to take you on a journey to explore God's invitation to flourish and to heal and to know peace that will hopefully change your life forever. Text the word GOOD to 877 933 2484, and Susie will wake you up to the goodness of God. Connecting Faith to Life, Faith Radio. Hi, this is Bill. I thought this interview was so good, I wanted you to hear it again. So right, we're back with Guy Talker, Guys Who Talk. I've got Dr. B, Tom P, and Jeff V. <laughs> That's the team. They're here to answer your questions. They will do their very best. Uh, speaking of not wanting to have too small of a God and assigning everything that happens, no matter how trivial to sort of God's handiwork. Jeff, I remember you telling me a story of a book that I think you had borrowed Mm -hmm. and you had to return it to this person and you spent like three days looking for it. You had lost practically most of your mind. And I think then you said, Lord, help me find this. And you turned around and there it was.
3: That's exactly what happened. I'll never forget standing in my, my family room and, you think if that's what exactly what we were talking about before the break, you'd think about these things, you would, you would turn to God and, and ask him for assistance to pray about it. And for three days, I didn't pray about it. And then finally, I literally closed my eyes standing in my family room and I was like, Lord, I need to find this book. Could you help me find this book? And I opened my eyes and it was on the lower shelf of the side table where I normally oh, yeah, sit and read. And I well. know I looked there, right? <laughs> I know yeah. I looked there. But there it was. The moment I opened my eyes, God answered that prayer. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: All right. Question, would it be wrong to read any of the gospel accounts that aren't in the Bible? What gospel accounts are not in the Bible?
2: Well, there's the Gospel of Thomas. There are there's several apocryphal. out there. Often we call them Gnostic writings okay. because it was, uh, Gnosticism came along after the writing of the Gospels, teaching people that uh, only the man died Jesus on the cross, the spirit left him, and it was kind of trying to separate the body and the spirit type of thing. And the New Testament is insistent, no, the totality of Jesus died on the cross and then rose from the dead. I would say you only read those kind of things if you've got what I call a very mature faith That you're not going to be upset by these things or they're not going to drive you in the wrong direction. I've read them compared to the New Testament, they're mediocre, they're they're kind of flat, but they're out there. They're written, and I'm not telling you not to read it. I'm just saying be wise when you do. Mm-hmm. They also came along much later yeah. than the Gospels. The Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were all written in
3: the lifetimes of people who were eyewitnesses to the person of Jesus. Right, so they were all written. In fact, the entire New Testament was written by about 96 A.D. These books came 150 or more years after the The rest of the New Testament, and the, while the Gospel of Matthew was written by Matthew, the Gospel of John was written by John, and so on. That the author identifies himself and is accurate and true as far as we can tell from history. The Gospel of Thomas, the Gospel of Mary, the Gospel of Judas weren't written by them, so they are they are I think purposely trying to be counterfeits to portray themselves as gospel when they are not because thomas did not write the gospel of thomas mary did not write the gospel of mary they came along centuries later all right Uh, this is a question about intercessory prayer
0: if it's okay to ask other people to pray for us is it then okay to ask saints to pray for us although we are saints so
2: well if you understand saints in the biblical sense every christian is a saint I don't think that's the question, though. But I know it's not the question. The question is, do we pray to the saints then that the church has identified people that have died? Um, Jesus said very implicitly, explicitly, those that have gone on cannot pass back over. They can't. They're not going to come back and talk to us in that sense. And I would say stay away from that simply because the people I know that have done that have actually heard voices, but it had nothing to do with the gospel. Mm-hmm. It was... I would say it became demonic after a while.
1: When you talk about intercessory prayer um, and you asking somebody to pray for you, you're not asking them to answer your prayer. You're asking them to pray to the Lord on your behalf. So that's what intercessory prayer is. It's not praying to a saint for a saint to go ahead and give you the answer or to provide something for you. So, you know, when we talk about intercessory prayer, others are coming around us, praying uh, before God and praying to God on our behalf. That's what I understand it to be. There, there's
3: one big problem with asking the, the dead saints to pray for you, uh, and that is that they're dead. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they're long gone. They're in heaven. They, you can't ask them. There is nothing in Scripture that that, that hints that, some people in heaven or anybody in heaven can actually hear us or know what's going on or aware what's going on on this planet. Uh, So there is one giant hurdle with that kind of idea that I'm going to pray to some dead people. The second big hurdle is, Tom, you mentioned it right away. Every single believer in Christ Jesus has been declared a saint, hagios in the Greek, holy by God through faith in Jesus Christ. You have saints on earth, Right now, and you know God says that powerful are the prayers of the righteous, yeah right, and so you have every saint you need here on earth to pray on your behalf to God, because I know that God hears our prayers mm-hmm. i don 't know about anybody else up in heaven,
2: and Jesus pointed out, we now have direct access, amen, in prayer, which people didn 't understand before that came along, so we can pray directly to the the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And and I always focus very strongly on Jesus when I pray, because He is the billionaire in the universe or so the trillionaire. Anybody else I would pray to apart from the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, uh, they're lucky if they got ten cents in their pocket.
3: Amen.
0: So amen. the
2: power is in
0: the name of Jesus. There's a lot of people with very sweet, tender, dear, sincere hearts, though that just had their toes stepped on right now.
3: Yeah, we have some traditions uh, within the Christian community that do elevate uh, certain individuals that have passed away. I mean, uh, you know, uh, let's pick Catholicism for a second. In the Catholic Church, there is a defined process to declare someone a saint. And part of that process or step one in that process is the person needs to die. Um, It's interesting if you look at Scripture, and I, I love this study, because Paul starts almost every one of his letters with this line. To the saints in Colossae, Mm
2: -hmm.
3: to the saints in Ephesus, it is clear that God is the one who declares someone a saint, not any church or any man. So, uh, you know, I, I, I understand that there are traditions that elevate certain people that have passed away because they've gone through some process or someone has declared him or them or given them a title. Uh, but in reality, I'm, the Word of God says that every single person who believes in Jesus Christ is a saint to God.
2: Let me be pastoral here. The Please person, do. If you feel you your toes have been stepped on, um, I understand that. Let's reverse that. If I see something that's not biblically accurate on the air, maybe it's a church tradition. Lutherans have a lot of church traditions that aren't biblical. I don't teach those as biblical. I may refer to them, but I don't teach people to do them. If that's the case, then I hope you would call up or send in a message and correct me, because ultimately our
1: goal is to search for the truth. It's not to protect our, protect our traditions, yeah and you, know, I would take a look at first Timothy also chapter two, verse five and six, where it says, "For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for all to be uh testified in due time, so there is one mediator." not a substitute, not anyone else, one mediator between God and man, and that's Jesus Christ.
3: I just did a quick survey, 64 instances of saints that all refers to the body of Christ. Awesome. We're going to take a little break
0: and then be back with hour two of Guy Talk. So that means during the break, send your questions over 877-933-2484. Love being with you.